Hello and welcome to Quick Link Podcast on Tuesday the 13th of July. We've got Jez Cox back on today and the tour continues to wiggle its way through the Pyrenees. But first, a big shout out to Louis Sutton. He's racing in Spain at Vuelta Zamora. Took third today. He's the best under 23 on GC. To the tour then and 169 kilometres on stage 16 for Pays de la Casse right on the Andorran French border. Heading over Col de la Porte, Col de la Corre, Col de Porte Aspet and over a little lump into saint Gaudens about 60 miles southwest of Toulouse. Not wanting Toulouse. I got that was awful, wasn't it? Tele Pagacha, definitely not on the juice. He leads GC for UAE Team Emirates by 5.18 from Rigoberto Oran. Jonas Vinegar is at 5.32. Richard Carapaz is at 5.33, apparently. Ineos have been very anonymous this race so far, haven't they? Vinegar wears white. Cavendish is in green. Pools is in the P's. And Bahrain have the yellow numbers on. As we reported yesterday, no Vincenzo Nibali taking to the start today as he's heading to the Olympics and Armand Grandal Janssen has also pulled out, taking bike exchange down to five riders. Long neutralised section in the cold and fog with the bunch stopping to adjust their garments, extending the neutralised section, some losing the thermals, some putting them on. Much of the start spent descending and forcing some splits, but come the first test of the day at Col de Port, Mattia Cataneo was first over the top after Kasper Asgreen had gone solo off the front. Jesus Herrada, Kasper Pedersen and Fabian Dolby had been chasing, but it came to naught. Into the intermediate sprint, Jan Bakalance, Dolby and Christopher Yul Janssen opened up a gap, taking the preem in that order. Matthews and Colbrelli going tete-a-tete behind them to pick up 13 and 11 points respectively. Cavendish not in the mix, just marshalling that green jersey through the mountains to Paris. On to Col de la Cour, 11 riders now chasing the tree up front. Gaudot, Conrad, Bonnemore, Colbrelli, Rota, Aramburu, Squinge, Matthews, Cosnefoy, Perichon and Fred Wright. Big up VCL. Patrick Conrad, the one of those riders to attack and bridge to the leaders and of course he made it Bora Hansgrohe looking much more animated after Sagan's abandonment with 50k to go Yul Jensen had been dropped by the leaders leaving Conrad Dubi and Bacalance 10 riders chasing Cosnefra was spat bunch almost 7 minutes back and out of the picture after bridging across up Col de Portet Conrad gave it some beans only Dubi was strong enough to briefly match him Sonny Colbrelli came across the chase but the Austrian champion was gone. He stuck almost a minute into the best of the rest and he came home for Bora Hansgrohe's second win of the race. Eight riders became the chase on the final descent but the podium was completed by Sonny Colbrelli of Bahrain Victorious and Michael Matthews of Team Bike Exchange. Then Perichon, Bonamore, Aramburu, Squinge, Backlands, Gaudu and Rota in that order. GC Lads came home around 14 minutes back. No changes anywhere in the top 10. Summit finished tomorrow, perhaps the other Queen stage. 178.4 kilometres from Muret to the top of Col de Portet. Over two Cat 1 climbs in that final third of racing. Anyway, enough of that. Here's Jez Cox with part W of his excellent alphabetical tactics guide for road racing. Hello, Quick Linkers. Thank you for sticking with me. We are nearly there. We have just four entries to go. Four weeks left in total to bring the whole A to Z to its conclusion. Um, You'll be pleased to know I'm actually recording somewhere much quieter this week because I listened back to last week's and it was literally like I was in a monsoon, which I kind of was because the rain appears to have dried up a little bit in England now, which is nice. We're getting something of a summer. Those of you who are listening from England will know what I'm talking about. We're getting there at long last. Anyway, W, X, Y and Z to go for in our 
A to Z of tactics. Some of you may have thought ahead and thought, what on earth is he going to do for that? I've got them all planned out, don't worry. Um, uh, listening back to the last few weeks, I've realised that for a long time now I've been uh, scripting far too many of them, so I'm going to freestyle the next three. So excuse me if there's a few more errs and ums in there in amongst things, but I'm going to try and talk you through things a little bit more off the cuff. Z or Z for our American listeners is going to be scripted though, because there's a bit of a special one coming up last. Uh, I can promise you there will be no more songs. Uh, trust me on that one. But uh, today we are on W. W for waiting, and hopefully this is one that uh, is worth waiting for because it is in direct contrast to so many of the other tactics I've given you so far. Um, we started, didn't we, with A for attack from the gun, um, which is nothing to do with waiting, of course. It's literally waiting for the race to start and then attacking from the gun. And then, of course, we had JDI for J, just do it. In other words, don't think about it, just do it. React immediately and just completely go with it, go with everything. Um, one of the next entries, um, X, where are we? W, X, Y. <laughs> I've got to think where I am. Y, so in two more entries time, Y is also going to be all about, I'm not going to tell you what it is just yet, but it's also going to be all about going with the impetus and making an instant decision and accepting it regardless of whether it pulls off or not. Um, this week's entry, though, about waiting is really completely the opposite to that. It is about milking the waiting time to find the right opportunity to do something. And it's going to take various different forms within a road racing setting. OK, um, I'm speaking to you just a couple of days after England lost the uh, European football finals, of course, to Italy. And um, one of the interesting things that came up from a tactical perspective as, a, as a, I guess, a cycling commentator and a coach, but also a football fan watching that was the talk about how the England manager, Gareth Southgate, appeared to be waiting to be the last effectively to make certain decisions. So in the final, it was about waiting for... Uh, the right moment to bring on the players who would then be freshest to take penalties. But also in other games, it was really evident that he was effectively using his um, bench and bringing on substitutes later than other managers. So playing that waiting game and perhaps looking to eke out a little bit more from his players. Um, from a tactical perspective, in terms of racing, it's not too dissimilar. Um, the only difference is it's a dangerous game because... Proactive tactics such as the just do it and the attack from the gun, they you kind of win both ways with them, whether they whether you whether they pull off or they don't pull off, because you've been seen to try, and then in the world of road racing, as we know, there may be 120, 140, even in uh, World Tour and Tour de France fields, maybe 150, 160 riders starting, but only one person can win. So the, <laughs> you don't really need excuses for not winning in road racing and bunch racing of that size because only one person can win so that unless it's come down to the two of you sprinting it out on the line you don't you almost don't really need excuses because only one person can win um the thing about waiting though is it only it's only ever positive it only ever works when it actually works because if you wait for something <laughs> if you wait for something and it doesn't work and you've waited and waited and waited no one knows you've waited and so your tactic of waiting is not evident. It may just look as if you're not strong enough. So it is a dangerous game. And it ones that, that utterly, it's probably above all other tactics, the ones where it's the one where you have to really reel in your ego more than anywhere else and retract it and play the waiting game. Um, as somebody who runs a junior academy, I always say to our riders, Actually, it's the races, and particularly the bigger races, but it's the races where your parents and people you genuinely care about coming to the races to watch you 
uh, it's those races where you need to be most cautious because they're the ones where you'll be openly inclined to try and be seen, wanting to be seen attacking, jumping across gaps, riding hard on the front for no apparent reason, all that kind of thing. And of course, they may not be the best tactics that get what is the only thing at the end of the day that really matters, which is the result on the result sheet. Um, it's kind of easier to think about it like this when you think about it in an amateur perspective where most of the riders are only working for themselves. And so as they go into that race, the best possible outcome they could have would be them winning. Of course, once you move into the realms of professional cycling, it's entirely different to that. There are riders in there for whom if they did win the race and have been told not to, it could actually be seen as a bad thing because they may have actually won a race that one of their teammates was supposed to win and they were supposed to be helping him or her winning it. Um, it is, of course, a different ball game. So if you look at a professional peloton, don't assume, and this sounds obvious to, to regular listeners, but have a think about it. If you look at a peloton, or say a leading group of 20 or 30 riders, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're all trying, they're, the, golden, the, the golden finale is for any one of them to win. It doesn't work like that, of course, in professional cycling where you have a job to do for your team. So I want to talk you through kind of three different scenarios of waiting and then why you might use it. The first of those is waiting for the right breakaway. Now assume you're the rider and um, and you're starting out in a, in a race, let's say it's a circuit race, let's, let's go on an, on an amateur level, a local circuit race. Um, generally, particularly on say kilometre or two kilometre circuits, you may well be seeing attacks going from the gun. It's very tempting, of course, if you go with the JDI mentality, as soon as somebody's moving up the outside of you and clipping off, you jump straight on that wheel. You don't even hesitate, you don't question it. <laughs> That's the just do it mentality. Um, why would you be waiting to get in the right breakaway? Well, initially it's a chance, it's an opportunity for you to see if the breakaways are being closed down or whether they're being allowed to go. Um, and if they are being closed down, then it's watching and waiting, sitting in, in, uh, in what I like to think of as the bunch sweet spot, so the position where you're being least expected to do any work or jump on things, but from where you're able to react to stuff that's happening around you. So... Waiting for the right breakaway, of course, is a dangerous move because it's only in retrospect that you can actually see what the right breakaway was. You have no idea. However, um, you should be informing that with all of your other tactical decisions based on what you know about what's gone before, the strength of the riders around you, and then also getting a feel for how much people are chasing breakaways down and who's doing the chasing. Certainly, if there's two or three people who've been chasing everything down, who then those same riders go in the next breakaway, that might well be the one you've been waiting for. But waiting for the right breakaway um, can often be fruitful if you allow those first few moves to go and come back. Certainly, based on previous experience, if that's something that's happening every week in your local, say, circuit racing series, that lots of flurries of attacks go and then eventually there's one that sticks, then there's a good reason for waiting. Of course, if you wait and the break that had gone away first then gains two or three minutes, then as I say, the waiting tactic becomes fruitless. And, and, uh, and effectively, you look just as a rider who missed the break. Effectively, you were a rider who was deliberately missing the break in order to wait for the one that you thought would be right. It is a risky tactic. Second scenario I want you to consider is a breakaway coming to the finish. So you made it into the breakaway. You're coming towards the finish. You're making assessments about the riders around you based on what you know of them previously, but also, and sometimes more crucially, based on how they're riding, looking, feeling, and sounding, so using your full sense of senses around you, while you're in the breakaway with them, and you're coming in towards the finish, two kilometers to go, whether it's a road race or circuit race, so it might be two laps to go, for instance. The first part of your decision-making needs to be based on how you feel and your personal physical attributes. 
if you know you're the best sprinter in that group based on PVIC's experience, then of course you're going to be waiting and waiting and waiting um, for your opportunity to start your sprint based on how far out you know you can open up fully for the line. Even then though, it's still a case of waiting, particularly if you know you want to wait for the sprint. Waiting for attacks to open up, waiting again then for other riders to close those gaps down, and then waiting for your moment to start your attack. Of course, if the attacks aren't closed down, then you have to choose how late you wait to try and use your sprint to jump the group you're in and try and get across to that other rider. Again, it's about waiting for the right moment. The right moment is only ever definable in retrospect, so you have to choose the right moment in there. But having the confidence in yourself and in your tactics is the most important part of waiting. The other crucial part, of course, is staying fully switched on to the situation as it happens and having that internal dialogue with yourself all the time, calmly, even though your heart's going like the clappers and you're breathing out your ears, but having that ability, and this is something to practice in training, of calmly reasoning with yourself about where you are on the tactical scale at any one point. Um, so that's the breakaway scenario. The next one, let's assume maybe the breakaway has gone and you're in amongst a bunch who are chasing. There's maybe other teams or other riders who are chasing things back. You've made the decision not to get involved in the chase and to wait and to keep waiting. The gap starts coming down on the breakaway. It's getting towards 40 seconds, then it's 30 seconds, then it's 20 seconds. Let's assume it's hovering at around about 20 seconds, okay? Uh, and it's not getting any closer and we've only got 2k to go and the bunch hasn't yet caught it again you're in that waiting scenario do you contribute to the chase do you try and jump across to the breakaway or do you just wait and hope that one of those two happens in terms of the break either slowing up because they start getting tactical and watching each other or because the bunch continues to chase and eventually um, they catch them or are you waiting for someone else to jump that? Because it's very easy when we talk about any of these tactics, of course, to assume you're the only one thinking this. You're the only one that's switched on. You're the only one that's got a tactical game plan. In amongst a field of, uh, let's assume there's a field of 100, 120 riders, there will be 80 other riders feeling exactly like you, as tired as you, as sore as you, as can't we just get to the finish as you. They'll also be in amongst them, and this is my estimation, by the way, if you were to look at a local circuit race, uh, let's say in the United Kingdom, so a third and fourth category local circuit race for, we'll go with men because the tactics of the women's races can be quite different, not least because they tend to have smaller fields. Let's go with a men's field. In amongst there, my honest estimation is that there's probably only 50% of those riders at the very, very most who've actually got a tactical game plan for that race. The other 50% at least are just riding to get to the finish. Their tactic is probably hoping not to get dropped. And that sounds really negative. And I'm not, by the way, I've been in that position myself. So don't for one second think I'm looking down on anyone. I'm not. Um, it's just the way it is that the vast majority of people going into races actually don't have a tactical game plan and um, are effectively racing to do a race. And, a, and then the, the primary tactic is racing not to get dropped with a kind of a hope that something might go well for them. They might get into a breakaway or they might actually... Um, be able to start sprinting as well as they do against their mates when on a cafe ride. And this is not, don't take any of these these, these kind of readings of races as being disparaging. It's, it's just the way it is. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And those of you who race regularly, particularly in the United Kingdom, I think and I hope will recognise some of what I'm saying to you. If you don't, then feel free to slaughter me on socials, get in touch at Jez Cox. But I think that reading of it might be relatively accurate. Um, 
So, you know, so in a way, those people are waiting. The people I'm talking about, that 50%, might well be waiting for something that they hope is going to happen, that, but which they aren't necessarily in charge of themselves. Waiting for others to attack is another crucial one as well. So, again, it might be in that breakaway scenario. Um, that needs to, again, be based on knowledge of the riders around you and previous experience of how they ride and how they've ridden to this point as well. If you know there's someone in there with a breakaway with you or in a leading group with you who's always going to be attacking later on and they haven't yet, then waiting for them. The waiting then defines your positioning, doesn't it? Because you look for those riders and you start to make like a limpet, get close to them, wait for them, gear down in advance of what you think they're going to do and look for those telltale signs. The telegraphing that we talked about in T, I think it was. Um, and then finally, it's, it's about in any of the scenarios I've described, in fact, pretty much in, in any um, racing scenario you could think of, it's about waiting for a certain moment. And that might be a moment for you to attack, for instance, but it's waiting for a moment to happen. The most common one that I describe with riders when we're talking about tactical approaches to the closing stages of races, if you're not waiting to launch a sprint because you're not necessarily the strongest sprinter there, that's not your physiological forte, you should be waiting for the right moment to attack. Um, go all the way back to the interview I did in this series with Colin Russia uh, for L, where we talked about last gasp attacks, I think we called it, last gasp attacks. He was waiting for the right moment. He didn't know when it would come, but he sensed it at a point at which the group eased, and uh, I think they were going into a bend as well on the Hillingdon circuit. There was an easing, and that was exactly the right moment to attack. You can't kind of engineer that yourself, but it's about being ready for it, anticipating it, and waiting for that key moment to open up and to happen. It might not happen. Uh, in the upcoming series, uh, the next one, uh, I can't tell you exactly what it is, but I'm gonna be giving you a bit of a video insight into the three days of Dupana, the final World Tour race from last year that I was commentating on for Eurosport. And in there, there's a classic example from the winner of Yves Lampard, just choosing a moment that presumably he'd been waiting for to try and get away. And that moment was quite indecisive and, and uncertain. But as soon as he saw that moment come, he was ready for it. Um, so do join us for that one as well. And I'll talk you through it orally and explain to you how it worked. So waiting, just to wrap up, a dangerous game, uh, but one that riders within pelotons, both pro, amateur, local and beyond, will be playing all the time. A dangerous game, but one that's worth practising. That was Jez Cox. He's just sent us the final three episodes as well. It's a little bit dusty in the office tonight. You can find Jez Cox on Twitter at Jez Cox and at jezcox.com. J-E-Z-C-O-X. We'll leave it there. We'll be back tomorrow with what looks to be the big GC shakeup before it rolls over some more hills to the time trial. And then we wrap up in Paris. And then the Olympics start. Hooray. Right, anyway, I've got stuff to do. You're busy. I'm busy. See you later. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Quicklink Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news and results. We're online at quicklinkpod.co.uk and across social media at quicklinkpod. You can support this show by using the code quicklink when you shop with veloskin.cc for all your chamois cream and skincare needs and also at efswheels.com where UK customers can get themselves a full set of tubeless-ready full-carbon wheels for under £500. Please like and subscribe, share the show, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Bye now.